0: We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for amazing sports stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
1: This is A Word, a new podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. This week, Congress began probing the January 6th Capitol attack and how rioters beat, in every sense of the word, the Capitol Police. These criminals came prepared for war. Fact is, many of the insurgents were warriors. U.S. military, veterans, and police who are also violent white nationalists. So why do some law enforcers get tied up with racist lawbreakers? And how do we fix it? That's next on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race in politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Lots of Americans knew Trump supporters wouldn't take his election loss well. I knew. And so no one was surprised when thousands of them responded to his call and came to Washington to protest the counting of Electoral College ballots on January 6th. But few were prepared for this. That was the sound of the January 6th attack on the Capitol that left five people dead, including a Capitol police officer. Many members of the mob displayed Confederate flags, anti-Semitic T-shirts, and other gear tied to white supremacist groups. This week, former Capitol Hill Police Chief Stephen Sun testified before Congress about why his officers were totally overwhelmed by the mob.
2: We properly planned for a mass demonstration with possible violence. What we got was a military style coordinated assault on my officers
1: and a violent takeover of the Capitol building. The military tactics and equipment used by some rioters terrorists reflected an ugly reality. Many of them were former or current military service members or police. For years, officials have been warned that violent white nationalists have been finding recruits amongst the ranks of police and the military. But why? And How could it be stopped? Recently, I talked about the issue with Malcolm Nance. He's a national security and counterterrorism analyst for MSNBC and the author of The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. I started by asking him what we know about the police and military people involved in what I call
2: the terrorist attack of January 6th. Well, first, let me clarify some terminology. And I know this... This has made me unpopular recently, but in fact, despite the fact that uh, President Biden has called it an act of domestic terrorism, it technically did not constitute an act of terrorism. It constituted a form of civil disobedience that moved into a criminal element when it became an insurrection. And that is the technical term that they're charging people with, which is uh, a violent attempt at the overthrow of the government using and starting with seditious speech. Now, within that insurrectionist element were people who were going to carry out acts of terrorism, what we call capture and kill teams uh, or another technical term for it is a murder cell. These are people who specifically went into the building to hunt down Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They were, you know, on the hunt for these very high profile liberals. I mean, most of these people couldn't have identified an average, you know, representative or senator right. on site. So that would have constituted terrorism had they been successful. And it would have been mob action, insurrection up to that point. But, you know, they built a gibbet. You know, they built a hanging platform outside the Capitol. And I I don't doubt for a minute that they would have used it. Language matters
1: to me. Language matters to all of us. And I'm glad that you gave those definitions and corrections. Can you sort of lay out to our audience the difference between just being a white supremacist and being a white nationalist and how, how that plays a role in these kinds of insurrections?
2: Sure. A white supremacist is just a person, any person, right? Okay, who believes that white people, the white race, are inherently superior to all other races simply because of their lack of pigmentation. Someone who elevates the white race above all. A white nationalist is different only in the sense that it is a conglomeration of, mm. of white supremacists who believe that as a nation, the United States should always, or whatever nation you're dealing with, as a nation is superior because of its white people. The funny thing is, it is really, really close to, you know, it's it's often unpopular to say it, but it is really close to the uh, white nationalism of, of, of Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler.
1: I, I want to mm-hmm. dig into the police element of what happened on January 6th. So we have Capitol Police officer Brian Sicknick. He was killed during the riot. You got Eugene Goodman, who was a black officer. He successfully led rioters away from lawmakers. You know, this is a clip of, of, of some of their activity uh, during that insurrection.
2: Take my Take, me, I'll take me.
1: That's a bit of sound uh, of the January 6th rioters following Officer Goodman through the Capitol. We also saw the footage of some Capitol Hill police officers also chatting it up with the protesters, taking selfies, hanging out with them, appearing to let them walk around the room and do whatever the heck it is that they wanted. What do we know about some of those Capitol Hill officers now? And more importantly, Malcolm,
2: what the heck should we do about it? This is a conundrum. You know, Capitol Hill Police is a very large police force in the United States. They have 3,100 officers in all shifts. And the problem with what happened on January 6th was the entire national security apparatus of the United States disarmed itself. Literally thought and, and said to each other. And now we're finding the memos and the decisions that were made because these protesters were white. Trump supporters, mainly men, and people just assumed due to their white privilege that they aren't Antifa, they aren't Black Lives Matter, they won't get violent, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that these people have a trend of running around with guns to intimidate people. Mm -hmm. So this protest allowed things that would never have been allowed on the mall. Backpacks with body armor, helmets, big entire containers of pepper spray and bear spray on their hips, flagpoles, metal flagpoles and, and sticks, baseball bats, cudgels I saw an ax handle. You know, they got away with an enormous amount by the very fact that they were white of skin. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we
1: come back, We're going to really bear down on the links between these violent white nationalist groups and U.S. law enforcement and the military with our analyst, Malcolm Nance. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This
2: podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. And now get $250 when you join RAMP for free. Just go to RAMP.com slash easy. RAMP.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to A
1: Word with Jason Johnson. We're talking about links between the U.S. law enforcement establishment, white nationalism, and the coming insurgency that we're facing in this country with national security analyst Malcolm Nance. We, we've heard reports now that, you know, again, one fifth of the people who have been arrested already for the insurrection were either current or former law enforcement or military. We've got uh, the incoming Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has ordered a, a stand down period uh, for the military in order to talk about violent extremism. I'm going to say this, Malcolm, and that I got to I got to hear what your thoughts are on this. The idea of saying, well, the military needs to stand down so we can talk about white supremacy and extremism. That reminds me of when, like Schultz said, well, we're going to have a day off from Starbucks to talk about racism. One day isn't going to fix this problem. So one, why do you think the military is such fertile ground for recruiting in these white nationalist groups? And second, what do you think of this stand down day? and, And do you think it really makes a difference?
2: Well, first, let me speak about the stand down, because I was in the armed forces when we had some very significant stand downs. Um, It's not like the Starbucks thing. Uh, When the armed forces stands down, it means everything stops. And every command will have a script that is sent to them with the word from the secretary of defense and the president of the United States. And it will be echoed down to every individual Soldier, sailor, airman, marine, space cadet, guardian—whatever you want to call it. What will happen is they will read them the Riot Act in a one-way conversation <laughs> that, that will make it eminently clear that whatever the subject de jure of it, or is at that time, that's what's going to be sussed out. Right. But this one is coming from a, a former general. This guy commands respect. That image is important, and he is pushing down into the force that now white nationalism and white extremism, you are our next target. And he knows that, you know, the base commanders are going to look at him and go, well, I can't beat that guy in the, in the mile run with a backpack. Right. So I'm going to do what this guy does because he commands respect.
1: Here's the thing, Malcolm. So
2: he walks into the room.
1: Okay, knocks down the door, waving a 4-4, tells everybody this is what's going to happen. Okay, this is unacceptable, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, though, we're seeing 18, 19, 20-year-old white guys online and they're being told by Baked Alaska, they're being told on right wing Twitch groups that are, you know, hiding behind video games, they're being told, hey, look you know, if you want to be a boogaloo boy, if you want to prepare for the upcoming race war, get yourself some military training. So even if you tell, even if if Lloyd Austin is pushing down from the top, the bottom is still saying joining the police department or joining the military is the best way to go. How do we stop those guys at the bottom? Because they still seem to think the military is the best way to go.
2: First thing you have to realize is 80% of these yahoos are just live action role players. So The military people and law enforcement are in that. Let me segregate law enforcement. Law enforcement officers generally do not have a military background. So that's in a different mindset. So they're closer to civilians. They don't have the discipline uh, that's brought in by an entire military chain of command. On the other hand, there's an entire world of military people, uh, people who couldn't cut it who go into the armed forces for a very short time, maybe do one tour and come out. Yeah, some of them are trained in how to use rifles. Some of them are Marines. Some are used, you know, mortars and truck drivers. But, you know, by saying the military, there's a big difference between an Air Force IT technician. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, a U.S. Army scout sniper who has done three or four tours of combat. So if I'm reading you properly, what I'm hearing here is,
1: even though a lot of these people may have military or police backgrounds, we are still, in many cases, dealing with George Zimmerman. What is it about white supremacy and white nationalism that is so attractive to these mediocre white guys? Is it because it makes them feel tough for once? Is it because they think they're going to be Luke Skywalker in their own fantasy film? If they're going to be the next Steve Rogers Captain America? Or is it they're just mad because they're mediocre white guys and they see a world that's increasingly having to be shared with different kinds of
2: people. Yes, all of the above. (laughs) If you look at the fighters on on the Capitol, the people who stormed the Capitol, these young men are all literally dressing up like special forces soldiers. I was having a discussion with John Cipher, the former CIA station chief Mm. uh, of Moscow, and he said you know, I can't believe all this gear worship. And look, I'm a gear guru. I mean, I got a lot of gear because I worked in a a portion of the intelligence community where we had to be around a lot of bad people and we were shooting people. So he said, we're just civilian clothes in our brains. We don't have this crazy gear. And I said, well, you gotta understand something to these people. The boogaloo boys think that they're joint special operations command. Exactly. So <laughs> I wanna I wanna I
1: wanna clear this up before we go to this break, because I think this is important. You've mentioned a couple organizations. People throw out the term boogaloo boys. I know yeah. what the boogaloo is. For our audience, what are the boogaloo boys? What what are they as an organization?
2: Yeah, and this gets to the essence of this new element. When you ask that question, what are the Boogaloo Boys, the first thing that pops into my mind is a bunch of idiots who are dr- <laughs> doing cosplay. And they think that they're part of a, a natural, spontaneous militia which mm. believes in the the ideology or the concept of accelerationism. Mm. And accelerationism is the belief that they are going to be the foot soldiers in a war that accelerates the collapse of America's uh, culturally diverse Uh, republicanism and brings it down to a white nationalist, young white foot soldiers, Game of Thrones style uh, war where they will take over the seven white kingdoms and bring them all under the rule of a white chieftain who is Donald Trump.
1: Malcolm Nance, uh, we're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, we're going to talk about what is the best way going forward to fight this white nationalist movement in the police, in the military, and what Joe Biden can do to make that happen. That's ahead on A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay with us.
0: We became brothers that day when he did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for amazing sports stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
1: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. We're talking about confronting white supremacy in the U.S. police, and the military with national security analyst Malcolm Nance. Okay, Malcolm, I gotta ask you this. Elections, we all know elections have consequences. Joe Biden began his presidency with an explicit call to take on white nationalism, to take on white supremacist violence. We're gonna play a clip from his inauguration
2: speech. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. I said
1: at the time, that's a really noble sentiment, but what's the political reality here? You've got a whole lot of cops that endorse Trump. You got a whole lot of military people that endorse Trump. Joe Biden has been painted as anti-police by the Republican party. What does he actually have to do? Now, we've talked about the stand down. We've talked about moving people out. What does Joe Biden have to do To keep not just law enforcement, which is a a thousand different organizations in different states, but what does he have to do to keep the military from sort of metastasizing into this cauldron of resentment, you know, sort of spurred on by four years of Donald Trump? What does he have to do and what can he do?
2: Well, first off, I'm going to make this eminently clear. Uh, He doesn't have to do anything. That's the secretary of defense's job. And General Austin or Secretary Austin is is doing what he needs to do. The armed forces is not like most other institutions. It's made up of, as right now, of volunteers. The old era in World War II where white soldiers didn't want to fight with black soldiers, Uh, by the way. Before they got into combat, because once you got into combat, you did not care who was operating the machine gun, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, that went out the window. So that era is done. And the armed forces has institutionalized rules. When I was in the Navy, I had a boatload of racism in buildings that had no windows Mm -hmm. Doors that had no glass, right? Cipher lock doors where if you weren't allowed in that space, you wouldn't know what was happening in that place. Mm -hmm. And I mean some straight up open, you know, n-word racism. I mean was was this by military officers to you? Was this to people being held like military personnel? Yeah. One guy just calling
1: you, calling Malcolm Nance the N-word to your face.
2: Well, they wouldn't call me the N-word to my face. They definitely call it behind my back. These people, once they're embedded in there. Mm -hmm. What eventually happens is that they self-destruct and by letting their mouths get ahead of them. The system is designed to make the armed forces work. I can't function on a ship if I can't trust the man next to me. If there's Mm -hmm. a fire on the ship and that and I have the belief That he's going to go, well, you know, there's black guys mainly in that space, so I'm not going to open the watertight door. I'll just let them die, Mm -hmm. you know, as a way of assisting the white race. It doesn't work like that. The all-volunteer force of the 1980s really purged a lot of that. I I, I want to close with this,
1: Malcolm. I said this, you've said this, you know, I, I expect there to be more violence going forward. The Capitol is no longer a soft target, but you can't say that about other state capitals around the country do you think Americans should be more optimistic or should we be more scared about Mm -hmm. what the future is going to be of this insurgency? When we see local police departments in Michigan and Texas and different parts of California basically turning an eye to this kind of violence, should we be more worried or do we think that Joe Biden and this new administration has a handle on it?
2: Got it. I'd like to. (laughs) First off, I want to modify your statement um, okay. because I don't think the word scared is operative here.
3: We should okay. be concerned,
2: okay, but we should be concerned about this all the time. It's just that now and, it, and you, when you watch their chat rooms, they're all like, oh, all white men are now you know, the problem and we're the terrorist enemy in the United States. No, you're not. All white men who are Trump voters and conservatives, you are not the terrorists. The problem is their attitudes, positions, and endorsement of the great lie. You are enablers. It's interesting, though, we have a different cultural dynamic towards law enforcement in the United States. Mm -hmm. That is also, it's fascinating because with this new uh, deification of the military, we have also come to an idolization of law enforcement since Mm -hmm. 9-11. And that is what caused this, this rift between the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a national movement to recognize that you should not be just shooting Black people because mm-hmm. they're Black and unarmed, right. and this Blue Lives Matter, thin blue line flag world, or, you know, the Trump world, where they believe that cops can do nothing wrong, they keep us safe. Both of those can be true at the same time, right? Cops right. do keep us safe. and. We do want law enforcement to behave. But what happened is after 9/11, those same policemen, they have adopted this mindset where they wish that they had gone into the military right. and were in Afghanistan kicking down doors. And so over the last 20 years, this this belief system called the warrior cop, right, has now dominated law enforcement where <laughs> Gun, guns drawn all the time. But, you know, the only thing that's missing, you know, is that, you know, they all have long rifles. And there's reasons for that. You have to have guns drawn because we've made the country awash with guns. So what I'm, I'm hearing from you that we should be concerned. What we had in January 6th was an insurrection. Mm-hmm. An insurgency is a series of insurrections. These militias see themselves as the provisional Trump army. We should be concerned their whiteness mm-hmm. is the camouflage that allows them to approach their enemies and stab them with a dirk, right, in the back. Yep. Because you don't see them in a field of white, right? No, they're no. The, you know, so that's how they got to the capital. This white privilege that they have literally glowing about them allows was- them to approach their enemies. But otherwise, when they're amongst themselves, you can't see an insurgent or an insurrectionist or a seditionist until they open their mouths. And that allows them to flow through our nation undetected.
1: I gotta tell you, uh, it is always an education, it's always a pleasure, and it's always frightening. (laughs) Thank you so much, Malcolm Nance. Malcolm Nance is a national security and counterterrorism analyst for MSNBC. He's also the author of The Plot to Betray America, How Team Trump Embraced Our Enemies, Compromised Our Security, and How We Can Fix It. Malcolm Nance, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of Podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a Word.